Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. God has to judge evil. He has to. If he doesn't, he's unjust. But God is just, and because God is just, he has to judge. Wait a minute. God is love. I know. Are you suggesting that to be a God who judges and a God who loves are mutually exclusive in terms? They are not. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. God is just. As such, he cannot allow us to get away with the sinful nature we were born into. Only by sending his son to die for our sins are we saved from the judgment that he must enforce. Pastor J.D. reminds us that only through Christ can we be forgiven of our sins. Allow Jesus into your heart so that you can find salvation from God's judgment. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 7 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Verse 7, the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge, judge the world in righteousness. That's not very popular today. Want to talk about that? And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. Verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you for you, Lord. Have not forsaken those who seek you. And here it is again. Verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When, verse 12, he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. (laughs) You who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may, and here it is a third time, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations, verse 15, have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. And again, for those of you who weren't with us prior, Selah has this uh, idea of pause, stop. It's a refrain to just kind of consider up to that point. Now, verse 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God 
For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, verse 19. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. Okay. Bear with me. Here in Psalm 9, David starts out with a very important principle that I would argue is often a forgotten factor. And it's that of telling of all God's marvelous works. Talking about them. Telling them, recounting them. And, and praising God for them. This is, to me, one of the most, if not the most powerful and effective ways to pray and praise the Lord. It's to recount all that God has done, all that God has wrought, His marvelous works. That which God has done for you in the past. Because he's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. I love this because it reminds me of when David, though at the time a ruddy, handsome teenage boy. Some believe he's maybe 13, 14, 15, certainly in his teens. Just a young teenager. And... His brothers are at the battlefield, and his dad has him go to his brothers, take them some, you know, bread and food, and and he also wants to uh, get a report on, you know, how how's the battle going. So he sends David. David, you know, gets there to the battlefield, and his older brother, who I really believe was bitter and resentful towards his youngest uh, brother David. You don't want to know why? Remember when Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel? And here, seven brothers. And the custom in that day, and it's the same today, is it's all the heir apparent, as it were, is always the oldest son. In fact, by the way, talking about the name and the, the, the nature, uh, in that day, and it's even today, you always address, it's the most honorable way uh, to address the father by the name of the firstborn son. So in my culture, in the Arab culture, um, it, it's actually more of an honor to call me by the, my firstborn son's name uh, than it is even to call me or address me as a pastor. So instead of calling me Pastor J.D., you can actually honor me more by calling me Abu Ilias. What does that mean? Well, Ilias, Elias, my firstborn son's name, Abu, the father of. And so they would uh, call them by the, the firstborn son's name. Well, interesting, the firstborn son of Jesse was Iliab. So they would have called him or addressed him Abu Ilium. That's how he would be known, even more than his first name or even his title. The name again is the nature. And so it was, this was a slam dunk. Don't even bother bringing the younger brothers. Just pull Iliab up 
And here's Samuel, and it's not him. And he goes down from the oldest down to the youngest, and none of them. And Samuel's actually confused. And he says to Jesse, he goes, wait a minute. I, I know I heard the Lord that I was to come to the house of Jesse and anoint the next king of Israel to succeed Saul. Have you no other sons? He says, here's dad, right? And so, yeah, actually I do. David, but, <laughs> well, where is he? Oh, he's out uh, taking care of the sheep. How appropriate, right? Well, get him here. Nobody rests until we bring him here. And so here he comes, all smelly. Can you imagine Eliab, who is probably devastated that he was not anointed the next king of Israel? I'm going somewhere with this. Just bear with me here. But I, I got to kind of give you the backstory. So here comes David, and sure enough, and they are as baffled and dumbfounded uh, as can be. And they even say to Samuel, uh, <laughs> how can this be? And Samuel's response is, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what do we know to be true about David, the sweet psalmist of Israel? He had a heart after God's own heart. So now fast forward. Okay. They're on the battlefield. So here comes David. And the first thing that he uh, does is he encounters the scorn of his oldest brother, Eliab. What are you doing here? Go home, you little runt, you little punk. Go back and take care of the sheep. What are you doing? This is a battlefield for men. It's not, uh, this is, I love God's sense of humor. You know God has a sense of humor, right? So here, here's David, and as he's having this uh, combative and antagonistic dialogue with his older brother, who's very bitter against him, he happens to hear this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of his God. That's not okay. Oh, interesting. Uh, Eliab and his other older brothers and all of the Israelite army, including King Saul, whom he will succeed, have listened to this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheme the name of their God for 40 days and 40 nights. David hears it one time. He says, let me at him. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he goes to Saul. And, and he says, Saul, uh, what are you doing? I mean, I'm obviously, you know, uh, <laughs> putting a little bit of a spin on the whole story, I guess you could say. What, are, are you okay with this? Is, is there not somebody that's going to do something about this? If nobody's going to do anything about this, send me in there. I'll take care of that. I'll silence him. And what does Saul do? Are you kidding me, David? This guy will eat you for lunch. He has been killing people longer than you've been alive. You're out of your mind. And I love what David says. He recounts all that God had done. And this is what he's saying in this psalm. He says to Saul, wait, 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 wait. Let me tell you 
about the marvelous works, the deliverance of my God. He delivered into my hands a bear and a lion. That's what God has done. This uncircumcised Philistine is nothing. And he, and he finally convinces Saul, and Saul gives him his armor, and he's, it's hanging on him, and it weighs more than him. And David's like, nah, this I can't. So he sends him out and delivers the Israelites from the hands of the Philistines, and he slays Goliath. My point is this. He told of the marvelous works of God and what God had done. Listen, when you're in a difficult situation, you would do well to remember and recount. Wait a minute. You know, you know what God's done in my life? You think God has brought me this far and he's going to abandon me now? God did this miracle in my life. He delivered a lion into my hands. and delivered a bear into my hands, so to speak. He's not going to do this for me. Where does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And, and hearing all the marvelous works of God. Is, is this not true when it comes to somebody sharing a testimony? Man, what God did in my life, does that not just bolster one's faith and, and strengthen and encourage one's heart? I think we, we really miss the boat, so to speak, when it, when it comes to this. Telling of his marvelous works. Notice in verse 4 where David praises God for ruling and judging, judging in righteousness seated on his throne. I, I, I want to bring this into the discussion. We're almost done, but because it too speaks to yet another forgotten factor, and it's that of God being a just and righteous judge. David's actually praising God because there is coming a time when God will justly, his, his judgments are righteous and just and fair, he will justly judge. He has to. We talked about this on Sunday, and when I say forgotten factor, it, it's um, sadly becoming rare that any more you hear that judgment is coming. People like to talk about that. That's not a, a popular topic, but it's true. But it's true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the proverb says. And, and to fear the Lord is to hate evil. God has to judge evil. He has to. If he doesn't, he's unjust. But God is just, and because God is just, he has to judge. Wait a minute. God is love. I know. Are you suggesting that to be 
a God who judges and a God who loves are mutually exclusive in terms? They are not. Think of it this way. You go into a courtroom and you got the judge seated there on the bench and he's judging the case. And this is a a horrific crime that's been committed and the perpetrator is guilty of said crime. Now you got a a judge who's a very loving man and he says, uh, you know, ah, it's okay. I'm going to let this one go. Uh, That's unjust, right? Wait a minute. You say, well, he's, he's being very loving, very forgiving. No, no, no. That's not love. What about the victim upon whom the crime was perpetrated? That's not very loving, is it? He has to judge justly because he loves. He can be a loving God and a just God at the same time. He cannot be just and not loving, nor can he be loving and unjust. This is another one of those Psalms that, like the one before it, is quoted by the Apostle Paul. This one, when he was on Mars Hill in Acts 17, verse 31, and I love it because he... (laughs) true to form, and we we love this about Paul as we get to know him through our study of the epistles, but listen to what he says. He says, for he has appointed a day on which he will judge, judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, speaking of Jesus, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Well, here's how I want to bring tonight's Bible study to a close. And maybe you've heard it said in a variety of different ways, but there is always, always something to praise God for, no matter how difficult the trial that you're in might be. I'll take it a step further and suggest that And I want you to think about this. Praising God in the midst of the trial can be exactly what you need to get through that trial. Let me say the same thing again in a a different way. You're in a trial and you're praising God. And and by the way, uh, this is replete throughout the book of Psalms. And by that I mean, (laughs) by virtue of the change that takes place from front to finish. The psalm starts out very perilous. Despair. My enemies are against me. They slander me. They, They want to tear me to shreds like a lion. And then by the end of the psalm, praise the Lord. What? What, what, what happened here? What changed here? No, nothing changed. The situation is just as perilous as it was at the beginning of the psalm. But what changed was the heart by the end of the psalm. So now it's, I'm going to praise you, Lord. You're going to defend me. You're a just judge and a righteous God. And you are going to defend me. And I'm going to praise you in advance. 
You know what that does to a troubled heart? You know what that does to one who is in a trial? It, it's a game changer. It changes the whole complexion of whatever it is that you're going through. I've tried this and maybe it'll be helpful for you. I know it, it was tremendously helpful for me. So I'm in a situation and it's very perplexing. It's uh, very upsetting, uh, very difficult, and I don't know what to do. And so I'm just crying out to the Lord and, and he's hearkening unto the voice of my cry. And the, in, in that process, and I, I'm praying out loud, um, and I'm, I'm just giving it all to him. Lord, you know what's happening. You know what to do. I don't know what to do. I know you're going to take care of this. I'm believing you by faith that you're going to take care of this, that you're going to hearken unto the voice of my cry. And by the time I get to the end of that time praying and crying out to God, my whole attitude has changed. I find myself saying things like, and praying things like, Lord, thank you. You got this. You got this. And, and I thank him and I praise him in advance of that which I know by faith he's going to do. You're going to do this, Lord. I believe you are going to do this. And I'm trusting you. I think about Hebrews, and, and I'll end with this. You know where we're told that without faith it is impossible to please God, right? You know what that means, right? That with faith it is possible to please God. You know what that means? That when we have faith, oh, it might be the size of a mustard seed, microscopic in size, that's small. But it's so pleasing to God that that's all it takes to move whatever mountain is in front of you. There's something about faith. You know, when Jesus in the Gospels, the one thing that he was the most... Um, astonished, for lack of a better word, by was when somebody had faith. And conversely, he was um, disenchanted again, for lack of a better word, when in his own hometown of Nazareth, he could do nothing because of unbelief. So not having faith displeases God Having faith pleases God so much so that God is so pleased that when we have faith and we trust him, we say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm putting my faith in you. I'm trusting in you and I'm praising you and I'm thanking you in advance for what you're going to do. Somehow, some way that moves the mighty hand of God on our behalf. God is pleased by that. God is moved by that. The poetry of the Psalms evokes emotions of all kinds. The authors' lives were as varied as their songs, yet each point to truth we can't deny. God is still God, always in control, and forever loving His creation. We can rest in the knowledge that our Heavenly Father cares for us deeply and is supporting us, calming us and providing life everlasting. We hope today's teaching on In Spirit and Truth stays with you as you continue on in your day, reminding you of truth and love at every turn. If you'd enjoy listening to more messages from Pastor J.D. Farag, you'll be able to find them on our website at inspiritandtruthradio.com. We do treasure our connection with our listeners. We'd like you to be a part of our social media community. 
Follow the links on our website to our Facebook or Twitter pages where you can add your thoughts to the conversations while filling your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area too. We hold services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. or come by on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Having a supportive and biblically-based church is an incredible blessing in your faith experience. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join Pastor J.D. again to continue studying the Psalms right here on In Spirit and Truth.